Welcome to People Who Play, the podcast here to inspire you to live playfully. I'm Emma and I'm here with producer husband, it's nearly your birthday. <laughs> yeah, I'm glad. I'm, do you know what? I've dropped the hashtag. Oh, I'm right. Just, I'm just producer husband. Is it like that moment in the Facebook film where he goes, drop the the? Yeah, it is a bit like that because I think actually saying hashtag is a bit cringe, isn't it really? It is cringe. For, for people of our age, my age, approaching forty, Woo! I'm about feeling? to go. I'm about to go beyond the veil. Big four zero. I feel fine. I'm thinking a lot. It's not a crisis. I'm just thinking. Okay, I'm half half my life lived. You thinking? Are you, you got some thoughts rattling around in there? <laughs> yeah, I, you know, I'm halfway through this adventure. Oh. What have I done? What do I still want to do? And what are the answers? Um, I don't, I don't know. Um, I've still got lots of things left I want to do, I think. Things I want to achieve. That's good. Yeah. it's good thoughts. When do you cross the veil? I am the sprightly age of 38. So I have two more years of being annoyingly under 40 for you. Oh, okay. Well, you've been organising my birthday bash, haven't you? It's and coming it's, up. It's been a bit like when Bilbo Baggins turns 111 from the Lord of the Rings. There's a sign on the front of our house and it says, no admittance except on party business. Yes, that's Cause... correct. And there's just me sitting on the drive doing big smoke rings. <laughs> yeah, with big, big furry hobbit feet. Gandalf, my old friend, this will be a night to remember. Oh, now I want it to be a hobbit theme party. Yeah, well, it could be. Now, I have some podmin to do, Ben. Okay, podmin. Yes, I've got a couple of things to to say. To rattle off. Yeah, we first of all, we have an email address. We are having a new feature, a mailbag. Right. And we want to hear from the listeners, don't we? We do. Because quite frankly, this intro section is a shambles. <laughs> And we want people to... But mailbag will be at the end of the show, Emma, surely. Oh, it could be at the end. Oh, yeah. Okay, we'll do it at the end. But we want it to be a mailbag, but we're going to pretend that they're faxes. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah okay. <laughs> but they're actually going to be emails. Yeah. <laughs> so the email address is hellopeoplewhoplay at gmail.com. So send us your questions, stories, anecdotes, play related conundrums and um we would love to hear them will there be a mailbag at the end of this show emma yeah we've got one we've had our first we've had our first facts in um next 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 item on the agenda ben we have got our first sponsor whoa sponsorship christmas is (laughs) uncancelled Was it cancelled before? Jeez. No. <laughs> no. We have our first sponsor and what a sponsor it is. Let me tell you about them. In today's episode, which is all about toys, you will hear us discussing the environmental impact and sustainability challenges which face the toy industry. And today's episode is supported by our sponsors, Whirly, the UK's revolutionary toy shop service that challenges the way that we purchase toys and promotes sustainable consumerism. We've used it as a family. It's absolutely fantastic. Every year, millions of unwanted toys are sent to landfill, but with Whirly, you can borrow toys instead of purchasing them. And any unloved or outgrown toys can just be sent back and swapped for something else. The concept of rehoming toys helps families not only reduce their environmental footprint and minimise toy cluster at home, but it also makes playtime a lot more varied and affordable. The premise of Whirly is simple. Choose one of the four plans that best suit the needs of your household and all you need to do is pick the toys you want. Their most standard plan starts at $9.99, which allows you to borrow £80 worth of toys. Whirly provides access to over a thousand of the best toys out there suited for every stage of child's development from zero to eight years old. And once your box is delivered, that's where the fun begins. Keep the toys for as long as they're being played with, even hold on to the ones your child loves and send back the ones that they don't to swap for new ones. If your child falls in love with the toy, you always have the option to keep it. The swaps with Whirly are unlimited. In fact, the more you swap, the better value for your money you get. Listeners to this podcast can save 30% off their Whirly subscription. Go to whirly.com, enter people who play at the checkout. And if you pay for the whole year in advance, 
they'll give you another 20% off on top. So that's a total of 50% discount. So stop shopping and start swapping today. So I've got a new format for this bit. It is the people who play podcasts. So I thought every week we could talk about what we've been playing. Oh, okay. okay. So Ben, what have you been playing this week? I've been playing Sonic the Hedgehog 2 and NHL 94 on the Sega Mega Drive. <laughs> I know that's not what you meant, is it? <laughs> that's fine. I've been, I've been retro gaming, Emma. That's fine. You yeah. can say that. Uh, went to a retro gaming shop and uh, went in there and I said, have you got Sonic the Hedgehog 2? They said, yes. I purchased it and me, Phoenix and Indy sat down and I just gave them the pad and was like, right, I'm not going to tell you anything. Just off you go. How did they get on? Fine, there's only one button. Jump. <laughs> Easy. Oh, I used to love Sonic. Yeah, it's great. It's been really fun. Well, what about you? What have you been playing? I have been shooting hoops. Why aren't we playing together? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, no, we've both, we've been, both been shooting hoops. Yeah, we've been yeah. doing two on two. Yeah, so Phoenix had a grandparent crowdsourced... A Kickstarter. A Kickstarter basketball hoop for his birthday, which is awesome. And we've, yeah, we've been playing basketball and both you and I... Well, we've been playing basketball. You've been playing netball. You've got like <laughs> middle school goal shoot skills. Made the county you do team. All, you do it all wrong. Wing attack, county. Yeah, that's fine. <laughs> I don't do it all wrong, thank you. I'm trying to... I'm trying no, 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 you're doing good. But what I'm saying is in netball, you can't move when you have the ball. No, no. I'm a little bit like... Because the basketball... In fact, you can't bounce the thing at all, can when you, in they, netball? Yeah, I'm not, just, I'm not just standing still. I am doing the bouncing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but the, the basketball shooting style is it's a little bit more stylish in the netball I find way. it fun when me and you come up against each other. Yeah. And we're tackling... Yeah, well, you're... Because you just start giggling You're not like tackling, crazy. you're fouling. Oh. <laughs> Basketball is a non-contact sport. Well, not the way you're playing it. <laughs> <laughs> well, me and you have both basically not been able to walk because we can't feel our glutes. Yeah, that's bad. Because it's... I guess you're squatting quite a lot. Well, I thought I was kind of a fit, healthy guy, but... It turns out you're only good at what you do, and I run a lot, but I don't play a lot of basketball, and it's a completely different skill set. Yeah, you're I... using different muscles. You're squatting a lot, and you're doing like fast bursts. Yeah, of energy. I do like that. I love that feeling where you've used a muscle you haven't used for a while. Yeah, I like <laughs> when the ball goes out of play. I like the way that we walk to the other end of the drive and then make the buzzer noise. Someone just holds the ball up and goes. <laughs> Yeah, I love that. Yeah. <laughs> it's been really fun. It's not. Been it's been. Um, it's been a good addition. Yeah. And it's nice to just go out there and work up a sweat. Yeah, when I go out of the front door, I feel like uh, an NBA player coming out of the tunnel yeah. to, to a packed megadome, and then it's just our drive. Yeah, it's just a suburban street. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's been fun. So this episode, Ben. Yes. Is all about toys. Toys. Well, I love toys, Emma. I know you love toys. I still collect toys. Well, today's guest is Ajelle Wade, and she knows everything there is to know about designing a hit toy for kids today. She is fresh out of the toy industry. Her background is in toy design, and today her business is the toy coach. That is what she does. She's the toy coach, and she helps inventors and entrepreneurs who are trying to break into the toy scene with new contemporary um, innovative ideas she helps them get their products through to market and we're going to chat all things toys the good the bad and the ugly as we dive into what is going on with the toy industry today Ajelle hello welcome to the podcast Emma, thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited for this conversation. I've wanted to get you on here for a while because I really wanted to do an episode on one of my life's passions, <laughs> toys. <laughs> that was great. And who better than the toy coach uh, to have this chat with? So I always start off with asking my guests about their own play DNA. So could you... 
tell us a bit about what little Agel used to like playing as a kid and then we can see if any of your play patterns and your play personality has manifested itself in you as an adult interesting uh i mean so the toy the specific toy that i was obsessed with was Polly pockets but i also spent like a lot of my summers building things out of paper so i don't know i think that was probably the way I like to play the most, I would just get like reams and reams of my mom's paper and just build giant boats, like life-size boats for me to get in or like dollhouses or paper. I would just build stuff out of paper. Oh, love it. Um, <laughs> very imaginative and very creative. Um, and did you, cause you have a background in the toy industry. Did you, kind of always want to go into toys or was that a, a squiggly career move for you? No. So I always wanted to work with children. And then I, I actually wanted to be like a psychologist. And then I watched the sixth sense and got freaked out. And I thought if I do something wrong, they're going to come <laughs> after me. I didn't know. So then I was like, no, that's not what I want to do. So then I thought I'd be a teacher and I don't know, realizing that teachers are not paid enough here in, in the States, I eventually ended up going to school for exhibition design and I was going to do children's exhibitions. That was my focus. Uh, and then one of the teachers saw all the children centered work I was doing in the non children centered program and said, Hey, you know, there's a toy design program here. And I thought, what? And the rest is history. I applied. I got in. Cool. C- can you name some of the toys that you've designed? Would we would we know them? I don't think you would because I tend to work for a lot of mass companies. But when I did work for Toys R Us, I was the head design manager for Girls Worlds, which includes all of their girls brands. So that's like Journey Girls, Happy Together, um, You and Me. So these are all like their their Toys R Us's branded product. Mm. Uh, so I, the reason I've been able to design so many toys through my career is because I designed for a lot of mass companies, companies that sell for, to like Target, Walmart, Dollar Tree, Barnes and Noble. So, you know, it's not like yeah. I focus on one specific, it's not like I designed Tickle Me Elmo. I designed yeah. like the, the, the products that you buy for Christmas that you might not know the brand name, but it's, yeah. you know, it fits like the trend and the style that your significant other, your family member, or whoever wants. Yeah. Got it. But you did leave the, mm-hmm. uh, you did leave the, the, your sort of corporate job and started your, um, business, which is it about a year old? Yeah. It's just a year old. Yep. Yeah. As the toy coach, could you explain a little bit what, what you do as the toy coach? So as the toy coach, I help educate inventors and entrepreneurs on how to start their own toy companies or grow their toy business or pitch their toy ideas. Uh, I do it with my podcast. I do it with my course, Toy Creators Academy. Uh, And yeah, I just teach. And I also take on a few clients. I do have some clients where sometimes I'll either design a product for them or I will design a social media image, you know, deck or brand deck. Um, kind of a strategy for that. So I do random client work. I also like I'm curating a, a simple museum exhibition of toy designers. So I do a lot of random client work, but I also primarily teach students. Yeah. And what, why was it that you wanted to make the leap and, and start that business? You know, it was the pandemic. I started, I was working from home like everybody else. Um, and then there stopped being a division between my time and work time. Like, I mean, I was already a workaholic, but it just got out of hand. Um, and I just started seeing a life that I didn't really want to lead. And it, it didn't matter how much, how, how fun my job was. And I guess, you know, honestly, my office is so much fun not being there. I kind of was like, what am I doing with my life? You know, <laughs> I was just in my apartment that wasn't that well taken care of and it wasn't that nice. And I was like, what, am, what is happening here? So I thought, you know, I don't want to have this 
I, I couldn't imagine having this lifestyle. Like if I had kids one day, am I really just never going to be home? Like mm. I couldn't imagine going back to that. If, like, am I really going to just never see my partner? Am I going to really just never spend time in my home that I mm. spend all this money on and spend time designing and building up? I don't know. So I thought <laughs> I've saved a lot of money during the pandemic, not going out. So maybe it's time for me to just like try my own thing. And that's what I did. Took a huge, huge pay cut, obviously, and just kind of went out and did my own thing. And how do you feel now that you've done it? Um, It's terrifying, but (laughs) it's, I mean, there's such amazing things that have come out of it. I've mentioned on other shows that like I've met producers that have floated ideas of making like TV show concepts around what I do. And I've uh, been on interviewed by crazy people like Marie Forleo and Amy Porterfield. And I mean, it's just, it's been amazing. I've had so many students. I've had like over 50 students go through my program and they all say how much it helps them and how much, how many like light bulbs it turns on. And it's really empowering and validating. But at the end of the day, it's also really scary because you don't have that consistent check coming in every week. You've got to work for it. You've got to figure out a plan and you've got to know how you're going to make your money. So it's scary. Yeah, I'm in a similar position. It's like you're sort of trading out the the sort of security um, and some of the comfort there for um, more autonomy, spending more time how you want to spend it. But also you have to make everything happen. <laughs> yeah time (laughs) everything yeah yeah so let's get stuck into the toy industry so obviously you have been tracking trends and following different categories different brands for a number of years now um as have i um in my background and i would love to um hear from you i guess what you think is happening with toys um in terms of uh, the sort of direction that you think some of the brands have gone in um what things have changed mostly since you've been working in toys these influencers that arrive from social media it used to be like you would license spongebob to make a product but now you're like licensing blippy you know you're it's a person and that i mean it gives a lot more opportunity because there used to be like a few licenses to fight over, like Hasbro Mattel fighting over the Disney license, for example. Um, but now there's so many other opportunities to make money with these licenses. Um, yeah. Which, yeah. And the, the model has changed quite a lot, hasn't it? So if you um, had a decent enough budget and um, a, a decent license um, and you could get yourself on kids TV, um, to advertise that was kind of the formula um, now obviously it's quite different because a lot of children aren't seeing ads on mm-hmm. TV they're, mm-hmm. they're streaming um, and they're they're watching they're watching a lot of YouTube um, yeah. and they're not always picking up um, advertising there and and so they're watching these kids on YouTube um, so these kids, for the toy companies have a lot of power, don't they? Yeah, I, I did say that. Um, I, I did. I think one quote I had was, the social media is keeping the toy industry honest <laughs> for a change. <laughs> I said this in one interview, because like instead of um, decisions being led by buyers at Walmart, it's like literally starting to be led by views and who's who like views of a video views of a influencer and that's crazy like that's like it's just never been done before i I think Mm. it's making the toy industry react really fast instead Mm. of like most of the companies still operate on a year out life cycle but i think it's going to change soon i mean it already is changing there are some companies that will like pop out new products in three months um to fit with a current trend like the bernie trend with Ber- that bernie meme was going viral yeah. they there was this one company that popped out a little bernie figure you can sit on your desk like really fast like so fast they were selling a rendering before they didn't even have a physical product yeah um and i, I think that's going to happen more because like right now toy companies are still kind of on that one year maybe at the fastest like six month turnaround time and when they don't sell through that product i think they're going to realize like oh we have to be even faster like we're gonna have to follow these trends and go right to manufacturing 
Yeah. And my my kind of worry with that um, and, and sort of what I've seen in my research background is when <clears throat> when we start becoming so uh, sort of chasing these reactive. really fast trends and yeah. so reactive to these trends, I don't think we're always necessarily um, designing for play. We're kind of designing for... Um, like what people are talking about on the internet or For consumerism. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and so we get a lot of these um, licenses and products now that are, have really sort of been sort of spilled over from like unboxing and various other like um, sort of challenges and viral gestures and things like that. And it's, it, it's, it's, it's problematic in that it's, it's not necessarily um, facilitating play. It's kind of facilitating collecting or wanting more or feeling like you've got to have this thing to be part of that movement. And there's always there's always a bit of that. Like there's there's always that. You know, I think everyone from their childhood, whatever generation they're from, can sort of um, relate to those sort of fads that that you wanted to be part of. But certainly. Um, yeah, from from what I've seen, I have been in these projects and 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 just thinking, what like what, we're not really talking about play here, <laughs> right. like where where is play in this in this conversation? No, that's very true because the like the idea and the concept concepts of just play, no one's really figured how to market it. Like everything has to still be marketed yeah. to sell, so you know but it gets easy to market something that has blippies faced on it regardless of what it is the product does yeah when you create a product solely for the experience of the child you have to be able to market that experience somehow and you know that's not like these companies are so big like that's not it's not going to generate the kind of money they would need to keep the lights on. Like for them, it's not going to work, but there's a whole other side of the industry, which is mostly my audience, which is very much the independent inventors and the independent entrepreneurs. And they're the ones that have a little bit more freedom to experiment with that, but it's, but they're not going to have the same, you know, they're not going to make insane profit because they have to do so much extra work getting the message out there for the product. Right. Mm, but yeah. What, what kind of things do you see with your independent inventors coming through that, that they're trying to disrupt or do differently? Oh, well, they all build like almost all build educational products or products intended to teach or improve environmental awareness or like to teach empathy or I don't know, to, to make maybe an activity that a child normally does easier. They're all very focused. I would say like 90% of them have products that they came up with because of something they saw their kids struggle with or, Mm. you know, um, their niece or their nephew. And so they're very like solution oriented. Yeah. I was in a nineties kid. So I was born in, 83 so most of my toy experience was through the 90s and in the 90s it was really um a sort of poignant time for mass commercialization of um kids goods so we we started to separate because if you look back at, at pictures of like the the 70s and and toys then and things like that like color palettes were quite muted like most things were sort of shared by boys or girls and then in the 90s like there was a, such a boom in um commercialization and we got a lot more gendered um because obviously that is going to um drive more sales um what what are your thoughts on <laughs> where we go next because I know I have a lot of parents that follow me on Instagram and they get very frustrated with um gendered toy um retailers and 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 how just generally toys feel very designed for different types of gender um but it would be useful to explain I think to people why that continues to happen um and how 
the toy companies are designing for mass, as you spoke about, but they're also designing for for the buyer, aren't they, and for the retailer and for how that retailer um, sort merchandises. of yeah merchandises yeah. and 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 sets up their store. So it'd be good to hear from from the sort of from your understanding of of how that all works and some of the. I guess some of the the problems between how it works behind <laughs> behind the curtain um, and and people's just frustrations because from my point of view, it's that that a lot of the toy companies aren't taking enough risks in in terms of things like gender because they're not going to get their buyers to um, to kind of go with them on those risks is that is that your experience as as well would you be able to sort of share a few insights on on how that works yeah like so i would say for bigger toy companies it's probably not the case they're going to get the space either way uh if you look at like mattel's creatable world they did yellow and what was it like a blue like a yeah. sky blue and a yellow um and that didn't sell well but um they did it uh and they got space because they're mattel um, so the bigger toy companies can do it mm. when they get a little bit smaller and or actually even small, like medium sized companies, like maybe ones you don't like moose toys, like yep. Zuru, like they're all bi- They're all still very big, but they're, fi- they're still fighting for space. Right. So what will happen is like you go into a meeting with a buyer and you're bringing your entire line list and the, and you're bringing samples of your product and the buyer is just you know, naturally comparing sales they got last year from products they had last year to what you're showing them today. And if you're telling them like, hi, I know you have this like, you know, doll um, from Hasbro, but I think you should swap it out for my doll. And yours looks nothing like the one that turned them a million dollars last year. They're Mm. not going to want to take that risk. Like it's just their job is technically on the line too. They're, they have to show a lift in sales like every year. So, you know, it's hard for them to say, you know, last year this doll was in a pink box, but now you want me to take your doll in a green box? And it's just, you know, it's a hard, it's it's hard. It's almost like when you look at like our, our government in the US and you just look at like environmental laws, right? It's like people always say, people in the toy industry need to use recycled plastic. And it's like, yeah, but using that is gonna be more expensive and it's gonna make the timelines longer. That directive has to come from higher up. So Mm. when you go back to looking at um, buyers, the directive for not having pink packaging has to come from higher up because if they do something that causes us, causes the company to lose money the next year, like that's Mm. their job, that's their Mm. livelihood. So I, you know, I think people need to be a little bit more understanding as far as that. And then when somebody like Mattel takes a huge risk and does something like Creatable World and it doesn't work, it just reinforces the belief that you can't be, you know, we need pink for girls. And then on top of that, like they did do a study. I, you know, there was a study where they had a bunch of kids come into a room to, and show them a bunch of packages. And they determined this whole pink and blue thing from this study. Uh, so there was a study done a long time ago. Um, it didn't come out of nowhere, but I don't know. I, I hope I would like to see it change to like a vibe thing Mm. where it's like maybe all the colors of the rainbow like our aisles are uh, divided with all of the colors and it being to denote like how are you feeling today like go toward Mm. that section but there's a lot of logistics in that like when a so when you go to a buyer meeting and you you show them the product they're comparing it to last year's product and say they pick it they might pick it but once they go to the store to put it on shelf there's like a designated section for craft products there's a designated section for girls dolls there's a designated section for action figures which are also dolls but whatever um so then they put it in that section but depending on where they're gonna put it like um like height wise in that section like and and like as far as like how high on the shelf that depends on like how the box is made or if it's a hanging product that depends on the price point of the item um, they'll put the high, higher price point items at the bottom. It depends on the size of the box. So then they don't really have as much control to control the visibility of it overall, right? So mm. I don't know. There's like so many different yeah. factors. The companies would have to take a risk. Then the toy, the, the yeah. manufacturing toy companies would have to take a huge risk. Then the toy companies would have to take a yeah. huge risk. And it's just, I don't know. Yeah, because I do feel like we're, 
stuck <laughs> yeah. we're stuck in the same old patterns there's an ink there's definitely an increasing um i think number of parents at least who really want to see change and i think kids as well having spoken a lot to kids directly um but perhaps not enough um mm-hmm. to, to shift the needle because the other thing is is a lot of people that buy toys are gifters right and gifters they're gonna search they go on amazon and they're searching like eight-year-old boy yeah 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 <laughs> um yeah, and th- and that sort of all feeds into it as well, doesn't it? So I guess if people, if people do want to, you know, vote with your wallet, I guess would be the the message. Um, you know, support those risks when they come out. If you're buying toys, if you want to see more of that. Well, I know the one thing that could make it happen, but this would be a huge investment for whatever company would want to do that. Do this. Say a major re- toy retailer opens up. Say like a Toys R Us level but they have a completely different approach to their how they organize their toy aisles. And they bring in products maybe by color, maybe by vibe, that's how they organize them, not by gender, maybe by play pattern. And yeah. maybe they only bring in products that have very muted packaging. Then that's kind of more of an even playing field as far as like when a parent comes into this space, they are not going to be distracted by the bright pink box because everything's muted. Because that's the other thing, like toy companies are saying, what do our competitors have on shelves? How can we make something that's even brighter and more Mm. attention grabbing than theirs? Mm. And that's Mm. how it gets into this vicious cycle. So there'd have to be a company that comes, or a retailer that comes out and says, we're only gonna accept toys like in this color palette and then people will have to support that retailer and that retailer would have to grow enough that it would influence how Target looks at their toy aisle. Yeah. I I, want to be that. (laughs) I want to take that challenge. I want to build that company. I actually, the other other thing um, I think that that is a bit of a frustration on the gender topic for me is that gender really comes into, or just all demographics really comes into uh, design and how... um, how products but also ips are evolved so um we will be will be designing for a particular demographic and that always feels a little bit for me because i think i'd like i'd just like to see more design by play personality um Mm -hmm. and by how kids like to play because that that can be actually a whole breadth of ages, a whole mix of people who might be interested in that. And I also think that innovation would really um, move on if we did that, because I think that that we're sort of like trapped in kind of coming up with these concepts for this particular type of consumer. And when I look at who they're designing for, it's always grounded around. Um, age and gender mm-hmm. I a thousand percent agree yeah yeah I did these um gift guides on my blog a couple of years ago and they like exploded people still write to me now and say um how much they <laughs> love them even though everything on there is probably outdated but I divided them by play personality so that people could think more about how the child plays and then not so much just think like what are the cool toys for that kid but think about like what 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 stuff is out there that is really going to ignite this particular style of play that this kid is into and I just think that is that is just so much more of a logical way to buy toys and play things to me because you want I think you know it's frustrating when kids don't play with things um but in order to know what they're going to play with you kind of need to shop and also have things designed for particular play patterns But there, I mean, there's some great toys. Like, I mean, I, so I did, I did a feature, I did feature a bunch of toys on NBC's Access Daily, and some of the great ones that I got to showcase were the Fresh Dolls by Dr. Lisa, which she created an entire doll brand uh, around 
supporting the idea that like little black girls should love their skin color. She was seeing all these doll studies where they were asking little black girls, um, which doll do you like the most? And they wouldn't pick their own skin because their skin color is ugly. So that moved her and she just started a whole company. And now she's, I think, in in Walmart um, with wow. her dolls. Yeah, and it's huge. She has like all different skin tones, like not just black dolls like latina dolls and all different hair colors like blue hair purple hair um fun outfits fun packaging and then i mean yeah i just her her brand i just love because she's doing dolls she's doing baby dolls she really just wants to make sure that these little girls feel seen Mm. yeah and and i know you've done a few episodes on your podcast about representation in the toy industry could you um perhaps share a little bit about um why why it's important and and how powerful it can be for children to play with things and 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 pick up books and things where where they are represented and then perhaps you could give your point of view on where you think we're at with that in terms of toys I mean it's important for kids to see themselves in their toys because it just builds confidence that you know, you are good just the way you are. You, you know, you can be successful just the way you are. It's also good for kids to see themselves um, in highly successful roles. Some of my students have come to me and said, oh, you know, I created my brand because like not enough black kids saw themselves as scientists. So I wanted to make sure that they could see themselves as scientists so that, you know, if they dream it, they can achieve it. And if you never Mm. know to dream it, then you'll never do it. Um, I think we you know, there's definitely movement happening right now because of Black Lives Matter. And I appreciate that movement. And a lot of people are making efforts to teach their kids empathy. Like everybody is, is focused on products that will teach their kids empathy. I just want to make sure that it doesn't, um, get lost. Like there's, it's so hard to say like like it's great to teach the practice of being empathetic but i also feel like we need products that are teaching the history of why we need to be empathetic Mm. right yeah and kind of understanding the the roots of that right yeah the company started by divert like by diverse people are doing the best job but i mean i i love seeing them be supported by retailers like uh, Walmart and Target. I love seeing that they are uplifting them and helping them out. Um, I don't know. I, I feel like I, it's hard. Like I think Mattel did a great job with yeah. the dolls that they released, um, but then they didn't release enough of them. So, yeah. and then, you know, and they were out of stock pretty quickly. So I don't know, like everybody's doing a, a decent job. I wish they would do more and like just um, push it even further but I understand the hesitancy like we just especially in the time we're living in right now like you know you don't know how much you'll sell you don't know when it'll come in you know I mean there's so many unknowns right now but they're all yeah. making an effort yeah um I know that you have worked quite extensively in the arts and crafts category is that right yes yeah what um have you have you noticed any kind of um trends or shift in sales or anything like that in relation to kids being at home more in that particular category oh my gosh yes (laughs) yeah no it was i mean like when we when we first like after the first year or in the first couple months people saw like a major lift i think i don't remember honestly i feel like it was something like 24 percent lift in the arts and crafts market um, but the toy industry as a whole grew insane. It was, and mm. now it wasn't even just arts and crafts. It became also outdoor toys. The lift was in outdoor toys and games. And honestly, arts and crafts started being the top seller, I think, because here in, well, well here where I live anyway, it was like cold when it all started. But then once it got a little bit warmer, it was like, you know, outdoor toys, games. And mm. I don't know, the toy industry as a whole lifted, um, I don't even remember how what was the percentage, but the toy industry as a whole lifted um, just because of the pandemic. They're expecting yeah. something like a three percent overall growth uh, by the end of twenty twenty one, and that's insane. Normally, the industry grows like one percent. It's not yeah. <laughs> like it's not a yeah. very it's not a lot of growth in this industry. 
No, because of the challenge, of course, with digital yeah. play. Yeah. Yeah, for some time now, it, it's been a slow a slow category, hasn't it? Yeah. Um, yeah, it's so interesting, isn't it? Um, everyone's just <laughs> desperate to, to entertain their kids um, whilst they're at home. Um, do, do you... Um, do you, do you kind of see, foresee any sustained trends in terms of what what the pandemic has done to toys and to play that you think um, is going to be relevant for inventors for the next few years? Hmm. Interesting. Like, what will stay? Yeah, because obviously there was a lot of like knee jerk in the moment oh my god we're homeschooling <laughs> buy stuff yeah. um consumer behavior going on but yeah i'm interested in what you think is is gonna stick hmm i mean i mean obviously i guess the low-hanging fruit would probably be um just anxiety related toys yeah because things just are not stable mm. but i also feel it seems that um the adult category has grown and is probably just going to stay um stay that way like adult games even adult collectibles i don't know if it's just the pandemic helped people get back in touch with their yeah with their inner child but i think family time has become more important and is going to stay um that way for us and then i think adults are just like into collecting again and they're 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 here for it and the toy companies are are pre-selling now they're like oh okay you want us to make this like special edition batman we'll make it if you buy it like if we can sell like a hundred thousand of them right away (laughs) so yeah yeah no i think you're right about the inner child thing i think i think from from my point of view i think during the pandemic play had a real moment i think lots of people understood the value of it particularly when um, children were prevented from doing social play mm-hmm. it was kind of like ah oh, like this is actually for a lot of people they were like it's way more urgent than school or you know yeah. anything else and I think because people were bored because people were stressed and nervous they also turned to play through I don't know making bread and dough or puzzles or all the other things that people were doing and I think play potentially got a little bit reframed. I had a lot of people that would write to me and say, oh, I thought of you today because, you know, my therapist told me that I need to play. So therapists were sort of prescribing play to people. and specifically, Yeah, specifically play rather than just saying, oh, you know, you need to go and have some fun or do, you know, let some steam off or go and, you know, enjoy yourself. It's specifically like you have, you need to play. So I think that the the sort of the link between mental health and play, um, I think that's sort of got a bit closer. Um, I'm slightly biased because I run a whole Instagram account around play and this is my whole (laughs) shtick. So everyone following me is kind of engaged in that. But certainly I think, um, yes, I think people um, really sort of realized, oh, actually this isn't just a frivolous thing. This is part of our sort of set of human needs and kind of life is short so I'm gonna I'm gonna buy the toy or I'm gonna do the thing um that that is play for me yeah that's great I did not know that psychiatrists are doing that so interesting yeah yeah prescribing play take your play pills um (laughs) but I I agree with the adult um adult toy category um I think that's true I think that is growing um particularly because um you know millennials are you know they're the sort of grown-ups now and they grew up um at that time I was talking about that was particularly bountiful of you know play and toys and it was kind of a very exciting time to be a kid in terms of the things that were available um I also think there's a massive gap with teens and older kids so I I think very few companies design for like the sort of nine plus um age group it's a tough age to sell to it's yeah it's kind of like this um desert like you when you're in the when you're a kid it's so clear what's designed for you and 
you know, all of your TV channels and shows, they're so well signposted and you kind of have this language of decoding what brands look like and how they speak to you and you know they're for you. And then once you get a bit older, it's like you either jump into like grown-up stuff, which for a lot of kids is too much of a leap, um, or you have to kind of keep regressing back and you might not want to do that all the time. Um, Yeah, so I do think there's a big gap there. And even older with kind of teenagers as well, like that is such a stressed out generation. And they've got the weight of the world on their shoulders. um, Plus, you know, all of this kind of academic pressure that they're under. And they've been in lockdown at a time when they're supposed to be, you know, sort of free and flying their wings um i think there's there's an opportunity there um as we get more sophisticated in terms of having balance with our screens as as well it would also be good to to touch on the the topic of sustainability i think the the toy industry is Um, increasingly under scrutiny but at least by parents um, for for waste there seems to be quite a lot of activity happening lots of companies um, kind of making big promises in terms of their packaging and 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 manufacturing and things like that what what are your thoughts on um, I suppose the, the 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 challenges with that and kind of what 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 you see and and how well you think it's going um, I mean, TerraCycle is really the biggest one. They've kind of taken it on, like, the whole idea of, yeah, send your packaging here and, and we'll recycle it for you. I, I just, I did have a, I did research a bit into recycling just out of curiosity and had a few people on my podcast to talk about it. And the it's like, even if we were to recycle the packaging and use recycled packaging, I discovered that there's not even enough plants to process all of the goods that we do recycle so again it's another one of those it's a bigger issue it's a bigger issue than just the toy companies can solve that's like a yeah i mean we can't even process everything that is recycled so Mm. half of what's recycled is thrown away anyway Mm. and then and then i think the issue of like of um of actually using recycled goods. I mean, I love that. I've seen um, one of the things I saw recently was I think it's Mattel is doing new Barbie boxes without plastic on the front at all. And it's like a closed off uh, full color print cardboard box. I don't think it's for all of their lines, but it looked like a I feel like I saw a a princess line or something. Um, And yeah, so I mean, that's great. But if, but let's be honest, like if sales dip after they do that, they're going to switch yeah. back to the plastic. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's interesting though, because of, uh, retail, um, online retail sales increasing, that does have an implication, doesn't it? On packaging because all of that, um, kind of blister packs and, and seeing the product is mainly so that for when in store in yes store, yes um yes. and you know the kid can have a look or you know you can see all the the kind of bits and things like that but if the in-store element is um becoming less relevant um arguably that opens up um a lot of opportunity to change packaging right well most companies do have different packaging for the products that they put online sometimes it'll be different products like um the package like for example some of the products i used to design for toys r us they were on sale on amazon once they closed and when i ordered them to just get a sample of my own stuff the package that came in was not the package that i designed or redesigned for retail so Mm. they had put it in a like a simple um brown cardboard box with like a one color print um with just enough uh filling inside to keep the toy safe but it was not for presentation um because it you know was something you're ordering online so then you need it which which is interesting because like what if you're ordering it as a gift it didn't look like the best gift um Mm -hmm. but the toy pieces were all still there so i don't know Mm -hmm. it's that's something i teach my students like if you're selling online think about simplifying your packaging for shipping because like if you do have a vinyl window and it comes damaged you're likely to get a return just because that vinyl window isn't um the most stable thing to be shipping and Mm. then um now it gets 
I'm not vinyl. I'm sorry. Like that, that plastic window, but now yeah. it gets now it gets damaged, and now it looks like you have a damaged product. Now people want to return it, and you're just putting yourself, uh, you're opening up yourself for more issues. So yeah, I always teach people like simplify your packaging online. You're you're seeing like the boxes of a product online will be so much small, smaller than the yeah. product in store. They'll make yeah. it as small as possible, pack the pieces as tightly as possible. Because when you take a picture of it, you can't tell how big it is. It's not mm. about how big it is, it's about all of the contents that come with it and all the activities that come with it or the, the function of the toy. So yeah, it's really interesting. I think they're just gonna keep having separate um, product mm. SKUs for online and in store. Mm. I'm going to ask a question on behalf of all parents everywhere who have literally wanted to poke their eyes out on Christmas Christmas morning. But why do toys come with that wire wrapped around them and like so many like random bits of like tape on the back and like all kind of <laughs> ways that the toy is tied to the packaging? Why, theft why prevention. Is that? <laughs> Theft prevention right. and display, like that's a whole lot, like loss prevention is, is a major thing at retailers. And then um, how the product is displayed to make sure that the product stays still in shipping, it doesn't get damaged. They're just trying mm. to prevent returns and prevent theft. So that's why all of those right. things. <laughs> Because if it's like a, if a doll is like shaken, like if she's like misplaced in a box, yeah. someone might return it. Or if mm. a doll gets loose in a box and then her hair is like rubbed against the box, the hair could get damaged or destroyed or just not look good when you take it out. And then you'll want to return it. Then they'll mm. lose money. They'll have a chargeback. It's like a whole system. Yeah. Because so. some of the methods used are like Ridiculous. insane. Yeah. Oh my God. They're... That it's almost it's almost like is this actually a joke like if you have to get a screwdriver out take <laughs> like a small truck out of a box that's absolutely ludicrous <laughs> it's madness it's something that happened to you this they're not really anymore i do think they have improved but like oh i've gosh. definitely had some that are like screwed in it's so tight <laughs> wow crazy I fear I, I slightly live in a utopia and I just think all of that could be done so much better. <laughs> but well, yeah, there was. The reality I'm wondering about that package. Is it Hasbro, Mattel, Mattel, cardboard? I'm going to look it up. <laughs> because like they're there. I mean, somebody did do it. So yeah, they are. They are starting Lego like switched to all recycled packaging recently. Yes. Yeah. And they have their um, bricks coming up, don't they have um made of recycled materials yeah biomaterial isn't it yeah okay so it's hat is it hasbro no i don't think it's hasbro well either mattel or hasbro can't remember which full doll cardboard packaging with like no plastic yeah so you just slide it right on out of that box i'm pumped for that yeah exactly <laughs> it's like i'm ready that's what i want that is what i want that's all i've ever asked for <laughs> yeah christmas morning oh man Trying to get them out of the box. Nightmare. Wish we could go where it's always fun. Come to Polyville. Just at the beginning, you mentioned that you used to really like Polly Pocket. <laughs> <laughs> I thought we could just close on uh, kind of what what you really liked about Polly Pocket because um, quite a lot of adult women that I speak to have this. Yeah, you talk about Polly Pocket and they go a little bit starry-eyed. New Polyville houses, <laughs> I feel the same. I feel the same. It feels very, I don't know, like this, this sort of point in time, um, if you were into that, that feels very special. So what, what as a designer, because obviously it's very specific in terms of being micro-sized, what, what is it about that way of playing and that particular aesthetic and tiny little pieces that, um, that kind of makes a good, a good toy experience, do you think? Mm, I mean, I had like, I don't even like dozens and dozens of Polly Pockets. So I really liked building the world. So I would like every Sunday get my giant bag of Polly Pockets and then take it onto my kitchen table, like big kitchen table and set it up like a little neighborhood. Like I would make rows of little houses, like multiple rows. And then I had like little Polly cars. So I would drive them around the little neighborhood and like have them go to each other's houses. It was like a whole thing. So it was like, it would take me longer to set up than sometimes I would even play with it. It was crazy. Um, and I, so I really liked 
just building a world but i think i also really like things like um like the sims I like games like the sims i like things like sim city so for me i just mm. like being able to build a whole world and then like have all these little people in it and make up their stories and you know i would give them things to do i'd be like okay it's time for school like all the little people would go to school like you know i really like enjoyed that <laughs> Um, I don't know. Maybe I have control issues, but <laughs> yeah, so it's the storytelling as well as the yeah. satisfaction of building building out the the scene. Yeah, yeah. There's, there's something about micro pieces that I think drive parents nuts, but kids kids do. Some kids certainly do do really like them. Um, we have these uh, the Shopkins cutie cars, and they've got like these tiny little things in them they're so small yeah um and yeah my daughter loves them and we have loads of sylvanian families i think they're called country critters in oh America. Yeah, yeah um and the pieces that come with them are so tiny as well yeah, i love it though <laughs> yeah they're they're immensely impractical for kids <laughs> but but um yeah so satisfying so are you, do you still design yeah i freelance yeah. design I yeah. did like a project for what do you mean recently. I'm hoping I'll get to do some work with um, the fresh dolls. We'll see. Cool. Yeah. Awesome. Um, and, and, and just finally, if there's anyone that wants to get into the toy industry, do you have any, um, any kind of tips or advice or they can go and check out your work? Yeah, I would definitely say start with my podcast and just start with episode one. Honestly, I started it very sequentially so if anybody first starts listening like the first five episodes are very good like start if you're it'll help you it'll start with like coming up with an idea and like go a little bit into factory research and stuff so yeah i would definitely recommend the podcast it will give you so many insights to the different parts of the toy industry and if you want to take it further then toy creators academy would be ideal for you yeah it's such it's such an informative podcast and if anyone um you know has got an invention up their sleeve and they've been listening to us talk about some of the things that we'd like to see um a bit more radical change in gender mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. diversity sustainability then um yeah give it you know definitely check out the podcast and yes bring your ideas to life why not yeah get them out there and as you say it's the it's the independent inventors that are going to have probably um the the scope to do something a bit more radical yeah i love seeing it and i love supporting it so yes do it if you have your your crazy ideas that stand up against the toy industry norms like just go for it yeah that's awesome well thank you so much for your um time michelle it's been brilliant to to chat to you and really appreciate all of your your insights and giving us a bit of a um yeah behind the scenes um of of how how toys gets made and why some of those things that are potentially a bit frustrating um <laughs> why why they why they happen and and the reasons behind them yes uh, thank you so much for having me it was a lot of fun being here wow ems another fascinating interview that is incredible now I feel like when I was a child, I only know this now, but when I was watching things like He-Man or Transformers, I wasn't aware that really you are being sold toys there. Everything about those cartoons was actually driving the toys. Mm. Whereas when I was a kid, I think I probably thought it was the other way round. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, that's the, isn't that the famous story of Transformers? They couldn't sell the toy, so they actually invented the cartoon to yeah, you sell do a, the toy. You do like a complete transmedia 360 <clears throat> yeah. thing, and you do, they used to do like, you'd have a comic line, yeah. you'd have a cartoon, and then all of that would like go towards shifting toys, because toys make them money. Yeah, exactly. That is exactly it. That was, and it still is like that. A lot of the children's shows, one of the frustrations a lot of the creators and writers have is that um, a lot of the shows are designed to be what's called toyetic. So that means are the characters translatable into toys? So you can actually 
affect sometimes not necessarily in a good way the creative that goes into kids content based on the opinions of what is going to sell in the toy aisle yeah but whether they know or not you're actually or certainly with he-man and transformers and gi joe and, and things like that you're actually getting amazing world building there if you have a cartoon with like storyline arcs and you have a comic run that you can read that informs how you will play with those toys now are yeah. you down with that because you're very much like do what you want with a toy yeah i'm open to, i'm open to it all as i always say it's a balance and i think imagination can be sparked through that world building that you mm. describe that is a type of imaginative play and because you go on to create your own scenarios yeah and the using characters, the tools that they give you exactly yeah and the characters will be a start point and you could argue that a child might not be able to come up with that specific storyline or that character like for example we used to play Harry Potter quite a lot, didn't we? When um, Phoenix we was a kids. bit younger. and <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, we did. Big dress-ups. Maybe that's what we'll get into now that you're in your 40s. LARPing, live-action role-play. LARPing! Yes! Let's become LARPers! Tell me more, because I've never... That was high a high-five. Five. <laughs> I've never heard of that term. Live-action role-play. We'll get someone on the pod that can talk to us about LARPing, and we'll get into it. Okay. Anyway, we used to play Harry Potter with Phoenix when he was a bit younger and um, we had like, you know, you get the, the wands and things like that. And I don't know, would you have had the imagination to conjure all of that up yourself? Like, we're not JK Rowling, like you can't, do you know what I mean? Like you can't sort of necessarily imagine some of the things that are out there. So I think it's, what I'm saying is it's nice to be able to play within worlds that other people have created that you love and that you connect with that perhaps you wouldn't have been able to come up with yourself however the more that you play as a kid and particularly as a very young child with characters that someone else has come up with and designed it's more likely that you will find what I call kind of blank canvas play a lot more difficult because you your imagination is used to having these stories and characters to work with so that's basically why I just like to give the kids when they're really little just I don't know basket of twigs bricks <laughs> sweeping bricks. yeah it's just rubble <laughs> yeah I mean you're not gonna make it, it it's toy specific isn't it because you can't sell just a blank action fig. You need a story there. Yeah. You need something. Mm. Well, all the all the examples that you reference, like I said, they lend themselves very well to selling at retail. They're all action figures and they've got like castles and vehicles and things like that. But when don't you think that's in now, is it? When, well, when this is what I'm saying about how it can affect creative. If you think about, you know, one of the really kind of iconic are two of the most iconic kids shows I think that have come um, sort of over the last decade um, Amazing World of Gumball and Adventure Time they're quite difficult to um, kind of productize and I think they're a good example of really sort of championing and going with that content I mean it's it probably kind of took off its own I imagine it had its own cult following so it, it was kind of taken on on board but that potentially someone could have said they're not going to sell very good toys because in in Gumball it's like a mix of real life and mm -hmm, mm -hmm. animation and it's not like a He-Man or a Transformers where you can just instantly make a toy so yeah sometimes that model can you know it can drive good product but it can also sort of yeah dampen creativity on the on the content side of things as well play with what you're into Ems yeah play with what you're into <laughs> right it's mailbag time wait Ems I'm getting there's a fax coming through we reel the paper out oh it's so thin <laughs> Jeez. All those perforated holes down the edges. You Lovely. are going to be a natural LARPer. If you bring that same amount of energy into your LARPing... Was it the way that I acted out pulling paper out? No, you're acting, machine? you're yeah. acting. Yeah. Here it is. It's from Faye. It's the only email we've had. And it's a cracker. 
Hello, Emma and Ben. I have a question regarding my little boy. He turns four next week. He has a fantastic imagination and I love watching him in his own little world. My problem is that since having my baby a year ago, I'm finding imaginary play and playing with his small world figures really hard in that he doesn't want me to join him. But it's a play style I really enjoy and I'm missing that part of the relationship we used to have. What would you say is the best way to get him to let me into his imaginary world or how do I shake up how I approach playing with him? Thanks. Faye. Well, I think I'm going to let you take this one, Ems. <laughs> um, this is actually quite unusual because a lot of parents really don't like the imaginary play, like the kind of acting out with lots of figures. I really do. Um, so I understand where she's coming from and I guess I would say if he doesn't want you in his imaginary world he doesn't want you in it (laughs) the the imaginary world is very private to to children and sometimes they get so immersed in it it doesn't kind of flow in the way that they perhaps want it to when um when they're playing with an adult so it doesn't necessarily mean that you can't ever play like that again but perhaps the particular moment where he's in deep flow and is kind of really diving into that imagination. You don't really want to disturb that. Like you want to really, really nurture that because that's really magical. That's what I was talking about, about the um, blank canvas play that some children find really, really difficult. If he's naturally doing that you kind of don't want to disturb that deep deep flow but what you could do perhaps ask him questions about his imagination perhaps over dinner or when you're walking um perhaps if you pop one of the the people that he plays with or animals in your pocket take them out when you're in a different scenario and start to ask questions about what this particular character does when he's making up stories and really sort of showing him that you value um that particular way that he plays and that you are um encouraging it um another thing that you could do is leave him to um to sort of yeah focus on his own storytelling but you could have a moment that's um i suppose a little bit more handheld by you so it's it's <clears throat> it's a togetherness moment and perhaps you could surprise him with a particular setup um perhaps this comes from your imagination if you enjoy that play style and sort of take walk him through almost like you're showing him what you've made up like do you want to listen to this story that I made up with these characters and see if that sparks off um an interaction there yeah I was going to say a similar thing whereas if I just started playing with something and sat down in like another room I reckon after 10 minutes one of the kids will come in and be like what's going on here and that's a way of when you introduce them you're going to be on your terms your rules with the you'd have set up the whole world and they'll have to sort of fit in that way yeah i think that would be good yeah definitely but this is all this is all great it's definitely nothing to worry about um and it's it's kind of a nice problem to have um in a way because what he's doing when he's in his little imagination flow there's magical magical stuff happening well that's the end of the episode Uh, don't forget to follow our instagram at playful underscore den you can email slash fax us at hello people who play at gmail.com and if you would like additional content you can support the show by following me on patreon just search playful den on patreon to join we will be back in two weeks time and in the meantime have a good rest of the summer and don't forget to live playfully